We're doing things a little bit differently today than we did last week. So those of you who were here last week will have heard Steve just give a bit of an overview of why we're doing things a little bit differently um, and give a bit of, a, uh, of an idea of what we're doing. Now, in the past year, we've, we've tried to really increase our... Um, the first bit of my talk is just really a bit of vision, a bit of Bible foundation of what we're doing. Um, so it's going to be a bit bitty, but please stick with me. Um, in the past year, we've tried to be really intentional about raising up spiritual sons and daughters. And it's been fantastic to see many of you just growing in your faith, growing in the gifts that God has given you, using those to serve the, the church body. And we've done that in various ways. Some of them are uh, invisible behind the scenes. You wouldn't necessarily know they're happening. And others are more uh, visible. Both are absolutely um, essential. Um, some of the more visible things I think of when we appointed Liz as a deacon um, only about a month, six weeks ago was fantastic. Uh, we started a group who are exploring eldership and we've continued that journey uh, with Jamie because the church needs more elders. We'll hopefully have more elders here as well as plant churches and send uh, people to be elders in other places. So we need to be continually raising up uh, people in that area. Um, and we've also continued to invest in our leaders through things like lead and other um, discipleship things. Now, another area where we've been raising up spiritual sons and daughters is with those who have specifically got a teaching gift so that God has given them uh, this gift. Now, we are wonderfully blessed by a number of gifted uh, teachers amongst us, and it's been fantastic to uh, see them growing in that gift in the last year. We think of uh, many women who have been uh, equipped and encouraged through renewal and uh, learning to uh, open God's word and instruct others in that context. Um, I've had the privilege of seeing people speak in other settings, like at the Christian Union um, and at, at Watton, the church plant that we uh, support just down the road. So various settings where we've been like, yeah, let's, let's encourage, let's equip, let's release spiritual sons and daughters um, in these areas. Last week we saw Joe uh, speak uh, alongside Steve, which was fantastic. And this week I'm going to be tag teaming with Jacinta, which is... I'm really, did you whoop yourself? That is not allowed. Um, <laughs> um, so that's fantastic. I'm really looking forward to hearing from her. Um, now, we still hold, as elders, we still hold to our biblical conviction that elders play or, or hold a primary responsibility for teaching and for the word, for sound doctrine within the church. We carry a unique responsibility uh, for that. You will therefore continue to see us as elders up here from the front unpacking God's word on a regular basis. Let me just give a few scriptures just so we can uh, root that um, in God's word. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, 17, it says that the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. So there are some elders who will labor in preaching and teaching. In Acts chapter 6, verse 4, uh, the apostles have basically been trying to ensure that all the widows get uh, fed within the daily distribution of food, but they're getting drawn away from prayer and ministry of the word. So they appoint some deacons to do the practical, making sure that all the widows are fed. Um, but the elders then say that once they've appointed deacons to fulfill that responsibility, they say, we will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. 
Later on in Acts chapter 20, it says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So you get this deal with the flock is, they're the sheep, and you've got these overseers, shepherds who are to look after them, elders, pastors, overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. So there's this, there are other scriptures, but this deal of elders, overseers, taking responsibility to teach, to encourage from the scriptures, responsible for sound doctrine and ensuring that false teachers um, and the false gospels that they would want to communicate to the church uh, and teach the church do not get uh, a foothold. Uh, In Titus chapter 1 verse 9 it says, uh, Paul says to Titus, you must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So there's the elder's responsibility to refute false doctrine as well. And to Timothy says, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. So elders, we, we take this responsibility very seriously. Like it's, it is a responsibility that God will judge us for. Scripture uh, says that. And so we will continue to take this responsibility very seriously. We'll continue to open God's word and teach you from his word to ensure that you, um, as, as uh, the sheep of this flock, are continue to be well taught and fed from God's word. Now, within that context, we are passionate about finding opportunities for gifted men and women to use their gifts both on Sundays and in other contexts. And I've mentioned some of those, like renewal and um, obviously Sundays as well. Romans chapter 12 says that we have different gifts, and it's speaking about the church. So all of us, none of us excluded, we each have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. So teaching is a gift that's, that God gives to, his, to people within his church and they're to use that gift to equip, to encourage, to instruct and to build up others from God's word. So there's a really quick whistle stop tour. Steve did a bit more last week. Um, I'm sure we'll continue to try and teach you and ho- hopefully help you understand um, what we're doing um, when Um, those who are not elders stand up here on a Sunday and in other contexts to teach as well. Okay, if you've got questions, by the way, please do like come and ask us. We'd love to, you know, just open up God's word and the scriptures uh, and walk you through, uh, through that a bit more. That's fine. Okay, so John 10, you've had plenty of time to get there. Um, I'm basically just going to give a bit of an introduction, look at Jesus being uh, the gate, and then Jacinta, as I say, will take it from there. So John chapter 10, verses 1, and I'm going to read through to verse 10. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. 
The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his, um, sorry, all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Some wonderful, wonderful truths there that Jesus is uh, teaching us. The main point really is that life is to be found only in Jesus and not in other, like anything else. He is the gate to the field of eternal life. And shepherds in those days, when they were trying to protect the sheep, they would build um, this, basically this wall of rocks. So don't think like massive fields like we have nowadays. Think of smaller, uh, you know, little pens, rocks uh, built around them so that uh, uh, predators cannot get in and uh, get the sheep. Uh, but what the shepherd would do is they wouldn't get their saw out and start building a gate, you know, like we put um, on our uh, fields. But what they would do is they would lie across the opening to the little pen that they've made. So they would literally be the gate. So they were there, ready to protect the sheep from any of the uh, predators that would want to come in and harm the sheep. And Jesus is saying, look, this, this field of eternal life, if you want to get into it, you've got to go through Jesus. You've got to go through the gate. There's no other way. The thieves and robbers would, would go in over the walls. But if you want to come in, eternal life, if you want to be a sheep with a shepherd, it's through Jesus and him alone. Now, believing this can be hard at times. It can be tough for unbelievers because if you don't believe Jesus is the, uh, the one who gives life and life in all of its fullness, then you're obviously going to look to other places for satisfaction, for life and, and fullness and peace and, and hope. But also for those who do believe in Jesus, we can be tempted by other things. We can be tempted to find satisfaction in a whole host of different places. Just give a few examples. We might think of education. We might think, look, if I can just get a really good education, get the right job, get a good financial buffer in the bank, then I don't have to worry. I can be at peace once I've done all that. Work hard, get some money, make sure I'm not you know, struggling with the bills. I'll be peaceful then. We might think of exercise. We might think of things like Pilates or yoga or things like that. Get perfect harmony between mind and body and then I will be satisfied. Get one with myself and everything else will fall into place. Or in the area of relationships. We might think if I can just find that one person, that one person to complete me, that one person to make me happy and then everything else will be fine. Or we might think actually maybe many partners would be the way to find satisfaction 
instead. And finally, consumerism. Have enough stuff and you'll be happy. Have enough of the right stuff and you'll belong to the right groups. Have the, the, the right phone or the right laptop or the right house. Be part of the right groups. Have the right stuff. And then you'll be happy. The thing is that all of these things, they overpromise and underdeliver. Jesus called them thieves and robbers. They steal life. They don't use the gate because the gatekeeper wouldn't let them in. They climb in another way and they mean harm. And it's not that these things in and of themselves, or some of them that I, ne- I mentioned, and these good things that we can give thanks to God for, it's not that they're bad, but when they become ultimate things that we find our satisfaction and hope in, that's where the problem lies. So we might think of something like social media. Now, I can remember when social media started. So I, was, I came to university here at UEA, and I was 18, studying computer science, and suddenly there was this thing called Facebook. And I thought, man, okay, this, this is like new, it's exciting, um, everyone wanted to be on it. You know, at the university, it was like, just like, get on it and you can be friends. You can be connected with anyone you want to be connected with. Get as many friends as you can. And you'll be popular, you'll be satisfied, you'll be happy because people love you, you know, if you get the friends. Now, it didn't take too long for everyone to just get addicted to this. That's obviously the position we're in now. It overpromised and has underdelivered. The satisfaction that it promises really does not deliver. Ultimately, they do that. They overpromise and underdeliver. They are all ruined ultimately by death. That job will come to an end. That relationship will end in one way or another. That body you've worked hard to get right and just looking perfect. It's going to get frail, wrinkly, and ultimately it's going to pass away. That phone, house, car that you've brought, it's all going to end up on the rubbish heap. You might have it looking perfect now, but it's not going to last. Death will always have its way. Now, Jesus is the only one who gives life. He's the only one who promises and delivers. How can he do that? Well, he's the one that overcame the very thing that destroys all these things, which, as I say, is death. Let's read verses 11 to 14. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. The gospel is that Jesus gives us life by laying down his life for us. He overcame death. On the cross, Jesus takes our sin and the punishment that we deserved for our rebellion against God. He took it all. He's the one who laid down his life for us. Thankfully, he didn't stay dead. He rose again to new life. 
So he conquered sin and death, overcame it once and for all. Glorious truth. Amazing. The only person to defeat sin and death and live forevermore. And this is the life that he gives us and that he promises to us. For those who will accept it by faith, put their faith and trust in Jesus, turn from their sin and look to Jesus for ultimate satisfaction and hope, he will deliver on it. Perfect life, perfect peace, perfect community with others who love and accept them. Perfect acceptance from the one who created us and made us. Ultimate meaning and purpose in life. That we're not scratching around trying to get satisfaction or meaning in our, our jobs or in other people. We are who God says we are. And we believe that and live in the good of that. And ultimately life beyond death. It's eternal life. It's life with the one who created us and made us and knows us. It's life with the Father as we are his children. And Jesus calls us to accept this offer of life. You might be an unbeliever today and God might be calling you, believe in me. Put your trust in me. You might be someone who was a Christian but has backslidden, put your trust in other things. You might be a Christian, you're just struggling because you're putting your satisfaction in other things and sometimes in God but sometimes in other things and God calls you back to him, to the gate, to the one who offers eternal life. Revelation 3:20. Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me. So really, it's, just, it's an appeal to let Jesus in, to find your satisfaction in him and him alone. He's bought it for you at the cross. His blood has done it all. We don't need to strive for salvation. We can let him, who, who has done it all, give us the life that he offers. So Jacinta's now going to, take it from here look at this Jesus who offers this life what does it look like to come to him what is he like um thanks Paul um yeah when I when Paul sent me his notes um before today I was like oh some of those cut me to the quick um like oh do you do you put too much faith in in uh what you wear or have a financial buffer or, or even like in relationships, in my relationship with Simeon. The other day, Simeon actually said the sentence to me, not everything is about fashion, Jacinta. <laughs> it was like, excuse me? Hmm? Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure we can all think of something in that area that, <laughs> the area of fashion, in, in all of those areas that, that we struggle with. And it's really hard to change those concrete, well, they feel so concrete, feel so physical, immediate things like money, health, relationships, for the concept of God that can feel so unknowable or so abstract. So how can we know what God is like in real physical terms? We can look to Jesus, who was a real physical person. 
Um, later on in John, slightly diverging from our passage, um, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says this in John 14, 1 to 7, if you want to follow along. Jesus says, um, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust in me. There are many rooms in my father's house. I would not tell you this if it were not true. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And after I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas, one of the disciples, said to Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. The only way to the Father is through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father too. But now you do know him and you have seen him. He's saying you have literally seen him because you've seen me. Um, I love that passage so much. I love, in fact, recently was preparing the spare room in our house. And it's like, I love that. But I also love going and staying with people. And the idea of Jesus preparing a room for us, it's so personal, isn't it? It's so beautiful. Um, Jesus is the way, he says. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And he is the gate, like the way in and out of the sheep pen. And in a wonderful and holy and also quite confusing way, he's also the shepherd. Well, now we know the shepherd is the gate. And then there's a part where he's the gatekeeper. And I messaged Paul and was like, who knows who the gatekeeper is? And he was like, it's Jesus as well. <laughs> the answer's always Jesus. Um, he's the shepherd who leads us through the gate. And what struck me when I was reading this passage is it is so personal, like that preparing the room, but also reading about the the gate and the shepherd. It's so relational. I've started a new job recently, and I have, thankfully, most of my Sundays off, so I can come here to be at church, and so most of my colleagues know I'm a Christian, and they have a lot of questions for me that are, like, really kind of practical questions, because they're like, oh, you're religious. So, like, what do you think about this? What do you do on this, like, because they see it as quite like she has to go on a Sunday, like she's kind of in this rigid set of rules because that's her religion. And they ask me all these what's and why's. And um, they don't kind of ask me about Jesus. And I realize that their expectation is this thing about this is your religion and not about this is a relationship with the living God. And it's almost hard to answer their questions because I'm like, I just feel like we're coming from such different angles here. Um, and I try and do my best and the Holy Spirit helps me. Um, but reading this passage, what I love is that there's such a relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. And it's not about who is a really good, well-behaved, perfect sheep. The shepherd will lead them. It's just we're all sheep. And Jesus is the shepherd. And the sheep, they know his voice and he calls them by name. There's a lack of striving to be the perfect sheep and instead knowing the perfect shepherd. And I'm sure a lot of us will have seen pictures of Jesus where it's like somebody's painted a picture of like this white, shiny Jesus in a white robe holding a little white, shiny lamb. And we kind of feel like, oh, I need to make myself into that shiny lamb and I'm not. But that's not the reality of the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. My parents had sheep and sheep dirty animals <laughs> um, they need a lot of taking care of the sheep not my parents um, especially when it's time for lambing for the sheep to give birth during that time Simeon's been there sometimes with some of it uh, 
they bring the sheep near to the house, um, not in any other field further away. And there's kind of a period of time where, like, the house and the house where the sheep live, well, they don't live in a house, in the, you know, pen or field, um, kind of become one. They become connected. My parents will get up every few hours of the night to go down and check if the sheep are showing signs of giving birth. And during the day, we might go down and take cups of tea or even meals and eat them dwelling where the sheep are so that we can be scanning for any that are showing signs of giving birth. And sometimes even if a lamb is born and it's weak, I think they've even like taken that lamb and put it in the house next to the fire. There's this connection and there's this, there's this closeness. And uh, yeah, my parents are very good at the sheep go through all these stages when they're going into labor and they're in distress and they watch and you're just watching, you're so close. And at the perfect moment when they know they need help now, my mum reaches her hand right in and pulls the lamb out and my dad holds the sheep so it stays still. And um, it's really messy and they take really good care of them and make sure no harm is going to come to the sheep or the lamb. Um, And God watches over us even more than that. Like, he is so involved, even when we're in distress. Sometimes, like, I'm in a distressing moment, and I'm like, God, just pull this lamb out of me. Just, like, make this situation be over, and he's waiting for the perfect moment. God, his watchfulness, his love, his care covers over us, and he's not afraid of getting involved, and he's not afraid of getting involved in your life and getting into the mess and the muck. Um, One of my favorite should we have favorite passages of the Bible? A uh, passage that has helped me many times, Psalm 121. says, I lift my, up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. I just love that. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord, oh no, it's gone wrong. The Lord will watch over you, over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. I mean, we could just, oh, there's so much there that we could pull apart. Um, But what I was thinking about was that and I often think about is the Lord will watch over your coming and going. And I'm like, on my way to work, I'm like, I'm just coming and going. And it says that, you know, in this passage about the sheep as well. Um, where is it? They will come in and go out and find pasture. And I was kind of thinking when I was preparing for today of the coming in as like when we're in our comfort zone maybe when we're feeling close to God or when we're feeling confident in ourselves even, that's kind of maybe our comfort zone. We feel like we're in the sheep pen and we know where we are. And God's taking care of us then. And he's calling us by name. But when we're going out, it says, then he goes ahead of the sheep and leads them. And um, maybe we feel lost or we're out of our comfort zones. God is leading us then. I've had so many conversations this week where I felt really lost or out of my comfort zone. And um, I don't know what to say. And I just, most of the time, I don't know where I'm going. But I know the shepherd who's leading me. Which is really easy to say and actually sometimes feels quite horrible. But it feels great to know the shepherd. (laughs) It's just hard to trust 
that I don't know where I'm going, but I know the shepherd. I know the person of Jesus. And recently I've had a lot of like job changes and I was doing this job that I was finding really stressful and disheartening. And when I was going into work and I really didn't want to be going in, sometimes I would just picture my hand above my head, like when a child is holding onto their parent's hand and they're kind of even just holding on by a finger. And I just picture that I've got my hand up and God is reaching his hand down and he's just leading me into work. He's leading me into the day, into the next thing. So I just like walk thinking, yeah, I'm holding on to God's hand and he's leading me. So I really recommend that for when you're struggling. You could literally do it. doesn't matter what people think or you can just imagine. Um, yeah, they'll come in and go out and they'll find pasture. And the finding pasture just makes me think we're going to be nourished and cared for by our good shepherd and provided for. I mean, the ultimate way that he's provided for us is, like Paul was saying, conquering sin and death forever. Romans 5 eight it says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, so not when we became a perfect sheep, but while we were still sinners, we were still in the muck, Christ died for us. So... I haven't written any notes for the end because I didn't realize that I was finishing the preach. Um, But let's just think about that oneness. Like when my parents' house, they're like going out. God is coming out to us because he's like, I want to take care of my sheep. And then he's also like, I'm... I want to take you for you to dwell with me. I'm going to come and dwell with you. And I'm also going to bring you into my house and take care of you. When Jesus said he's preparing a place for us. Heaven isn't far away. Eternal life isn't far away. It starts right now when we start our relationship with Jesus or when we continue our relationship with Jesus. We are living with God dwelling in us. That's just so amazing. And I think that he wants to nourish us with that truth today.